0: Now that we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Who have been called to called according to his purpose for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified
1: Thanks so much, Carla. And uh, you might find it really helpful to have your Bibles open if you've got one. If not, not a big deal. Uh, if you're someone who takes notes, there's an outline of where we're heading in the leaflet. If, if you're not, it may still help you work out where I'm going anyway as we tra- travel along. So let me pray and then we'll, uh, we'll tuck into what is, a, as we've already heard, a, th- a thorny topic. Let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father we do thank you for your great mercy and love towards us in your son and we pray that as we tackle something that uh, really is um, one of those topics that stretches both our minds and our hearts that you give us that right sense of understanding from a spiritual perspective what's happening in this world how we're involved in it and uh, the way in which suffering uh, is a part of the world and actually a part of your purposes not outside your purposes so father uh, help us as we wrestle uh, with the scripture on this matter give us insight and understanding we ask in Jesus name amen Uh, I don't know if you get to see the news uh, of the night time on TV I sometimes do sometimes don't I sometimes watch commercial I sometimes watch the ABC uh, and I notice at the end of those new b- news broadcasts, they always finish on the same sort of note. Now, if you're m- watching a commercial statement, uh, a station, it's always light. Right? They At the end of it, they transfer you across to the zoo, and you look at, you know, Funi and Tofu frolicking fl- around, you know, the pandas in the sun, and the speculations whether they'll have a baby this year. It's that sort of story, you know, light. Uh, ABC on a slightly tighter sort of budget, um, so they normally uh, show you a picture that's been sent in by one of the viewers of a sunset somewhere in South Australia. And it's that sort of like, oh, isn't that nice sort of moment, you know, that, that sort of thing. But if you watch the news, what you know is that that is in such stark contrast with the previous uh, 25 or 50 minutes of news that you've just heard. Uh, you know that the world is a messed up place. It may be that you're taken to a scene uh, in New Zealand where there are volcanoes that have just, a volcano just erupted and people have been killed, or the protests in Hong Kong where people are being hurt and injured in a constant sort of way, or any number of those sort of world events that are really dangerous and damaging. Um, you know, Trump facing off against the... Uh, uh, the premier in China and what will happen in that trade war and also as they fight over islands uh, to the north of our country and what's going on there. The, the world is that sort of contested space. We're aware of it. We know that's the case. But you know that that sort of disruption um, and unsettledness and uncertainty and suffering are not just out there, they're in here as well. Uh, every single one of us whether it be right now or from uh, the past will know the pain and the hurt uh, that comes with grief Uh, losing someone you love you know what it's like to be in conflict with other people and have tension in that relationship Uh, you know the tears that come uh, with things not going well maybe you know what it is to live with chronic illness And the debilitating nature of ongoing pain and uh, the inability to function the way you would like Uh, it's out there but it's also in here and we're so aware of it and when it comes to a space like this morning we know it raises not just a personal issue but a almost a philosophical issue that is when we think about God if he is both powerful and good then surely he wouldn't want us to go through this sort of pain and struggle either globally or personally and I've had lots of conversations with people who've been thinking about uh, Christianity and for them this is the real stumbling block Um, you know how can this God you're talking about this good God allow a world to function in this sort of way, allow these sort of things to happen in my life. But I want to say also, it's not just someone who's thinking about Christianity from the outside. This is an internal issue. This is one that believers regularly have to wrestle with. Why does God allow it to be the case? Last week we saw in the first part of Romans chapter 8, idea after idea after idea piled up to tell us about God's amazing love for us, the blessings of being in Christ, a Christian, uh, the way in which they're brought to us by the work of the Holy Spirit. Things like the fact that we're children of God, we've been adopted, we have intimacy with the God of the universe because he's given us his Holy Spirit. In verse 15 of chapter 8 it says... The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, "Abba, Father," uh, that close I talked about the way in which my kids burst, my grandchildren burst in through the back door, and they say, "Papa, papa, Papa," you know It's that sort of relationship that we have with the Heavenly Father in a maybe not more mature way, given our relationship with God, but the, the closeness of that relationship. And so here's the question that forms if God loves us so much, if we are his special children, why would he let us suffer? I mean, why? In fact, the first verse we heard in that reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 17, not just why would God let us suffer, it seems to insist that we must suffer. Did you pick it up? Verse 17. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if, if, if indeed we share in his sufferings and that we all also may share in his glory. Now I'm a, a father of kids who were all three kids around the age of 30 and now uh, grandfather of five kids, five and under. And I want to say to you, one of the things I reckon I've tried to do over the years in my flawed, fatherly, grandfatherly way is try and protect them from pain and hurt and suffering. So given uh, me as a father with all my flaws and my weaknesses and frailties, given I want to do that for my kids and grandkids, why does God insist that suffering is part and parcel of being his children? So what we're doing is we're turning to verses 18 and 30 to 30 of this passage. And we're thinking about that, that heavenly perspective. It's a spiritual perspective on pain and suffering. So let's tuck into it together. We start off in verse 18 following. And the, the big idea here is, is hope. Um, Looking to the future, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Now understand really carefully, this is not saying suffering isn't bad or suffering isn't real. But what it is saying is that it pales by comparison with the future that God has prepared for us. You pick up the same sort of idea in verse 22. Now, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Now, we've just been hearing about children that have been born, children that are about to be born, nine days overdue. That's a terrifying thought, I think, uh, for that poor mother hanging around like that. That's horrible. And, but you, the image here is one of childbirth, and anyone who's had exposure to that in different ways knows that this is not generally a straightforward experience. Right? We have three kids. The smallest of our children was 9 pounds, 13 ounces. Right? That was the toddler, the, the mini guy. Right? And then we went up from there to 10 pounds, 7 ounces and finished off with 11 pounds, 15 ounces. Right? Right? It was agonising, absolutely agonising. And it was even worse for Sue, right? It was terrible for her. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you get the point of this image... Our world is in labour pains. But when this present age gives birth to our future glory in the presence of God, then it will be like comparing chalk and cheese. You know, it's a sort of nothing with something. It will just pale by comparison with how good it will be. Hope permeates this chapter. And it helps us put suffering in perspective you see our world it's incredibly short-sighted but god isn't god is not short-sighted so then we move in from verse 19 to verses 27 on a, a perspective on suffering now the, the, the future has been painted so what about the present suffering given that sort of backdrop and what you pick up and would have heard in these verses is the idea that they're dominated by groaning Verses nineteen to 22, we hear about the, the world or the fact that creation groans. Uh, we think, I reckon, that, that pain and suffering are normal. Uh, we've never experienced anything different from that. We've never lived in a world where there hasn't been pain and suffering. But I want to suggest to you that it's not the way it was meant to be. Verse 20. The creation was subjected to frustration not by its own choice but by the will of the one who subjected it and it's in hope now understand really clearly that god is the one who has caused this to be a world where there is frustration and futility and decay right? there's an ownership by god of the reality of our world right now you see, the thing is, this world is currently not as it was originally created by God. It's a world that lives under the judgment of God. Now, how, how does that work? Um, when you hear of a natural disaster, um, an earthquake, a volcanic eruption, a tsunami, where people are killed or drowned, when you hear of a child that dies in in childbirth, when you hear of a person who contracts AIDS because of a, a contaminated transfusion of blood, when you're subjected to those sort of things, don't you find yourself instinctively thinking, this is not how it's meant to be? It shouldn't be like this that's because at one level it's not the way it's meant to be it shouldn't be like that if we flip back to the first three chapters of the bible we're not going to do it but well we did that last year actually when we we met together but what you see there in those opening chapters of the bible is the one which God creates a world and the statement that keeps on being made about the way God creates it is that it's good it's good it's good it's good it's good it's very good that's the picture of the created order. But what you discover there in Genesis chapter 3 is that people reject God's authority. They want to live under a sort of self-rule. and They push him to one side. And God will not allow that to be the permanent state of things. He knows that that's not good for us. And so it brings a certain judgment to the whole of the created order as well. Us. judgment permeates every aspect of living in this world but here's the thing God is not finished with the world verse 20 the creation is sub- subjected to frustration in hope verse 21 that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay the whole of the created order groans. But then we go on from verses 23 to 25 and we discover that we groan as well. Verse 23, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship. It's an interesting image here. At various studies that have been done over the years Um, show that christians on the whole by comparison with people in the same sort of culture or context in which they live will generally have happier healthier uh, wealthier sort of lives than their peers around them it's just an interesting statistical sort of anomaly but the image here is of us having the the first fruits of the spirit sort of the, the down payment on the future it's like when you buy a house you put down a deposit And you then have to wait for a period before you can actually move into the house. You've got to wait for the settlement sort of day. Christians have this relationship with God that God achieves by the work of his spirit, but it's not reached its fulfillment or conclusion yet. Right now, we groan. Right now, we struggle with sin. But one day we won't right now we struggle with with bodies that age and get sick and sort of get closer to the ground because of gravity over time you know bodies never get taller they get smaller you know it's a it's just the way in which life works in this world right now we live with emotional pain and sadness and grief but the day is coming when every tear will be wiped away from our eyes I want to say that that living with future hope is difficult to hold in tension with a world that wants everything now. Uh, we want to, We live in a world where, where people have the immediacy. Um, we live in a world of false hope. See, if only you pay enough money, uh, work can be done on your body to make it perfect. Right? You know, liposuction to take stuff out of your hips and put it in your cheeks. You know, that's that's what happens, right? But the reality is, the stuff in your cheeks eventually finds its way back down to your hips. It's so, it's an endless sort of cycle. You know, it's that sort of that sort of idea. Um, you won't have a perfect body. You can't achieve it. There's sort of She'll be right hope that we live in in this world. It's very Australian. You know, you. Uh, uh, you go out after church today, you discover your car's been stolen, um, you get bitten by your dog that happens to have contracted rabies, your house burns down and your insurance lapsed last week, right? <laughs> you know, and it, she'll be right. You know That's the Australian way of dealing with that. Of course, it won't be right at all. Um, but even within Christian circles, there are some who are peddlers of false hope. Um, there are some who actually hold themselves out as Christians but don't believe in that future hope that's promised here in this passage. And then say basically what God wants us to do is to work for justice and right living in this world alone. Now let me say there's a place for that. It's appropriate to be wrestling for those sort of things, uh, good, but I also want to say that you'll never achieve it. That is that that view of striving for that perfect world it ignores sin it ignores the frustration, the dog's life in this world, and it actually robs people of future hope. And then on the, the other end, there are some people who hold themselves so out as Christian, who teach that God's future heavenly hope promises are for here and now. They try and drag heaven. Uh, Back into this world if you have enough faith then God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy now and to spare you from suffering and frustration a health and wealth gospel but here's the question where is the promised suffering of verse 17 where does that fit in this thinking. God does not promise healing now. He doesn't promise an end of the groaning now. But I do want to suggest that he heals with his promises that are secure now. Then we come to these verses in verses 26 and 27, which are very uh, interesting. It talks about the way in which the Spirit, the Holy Spirit groans for us. Um, I think at times when we're struggling with pain or heartache or grief or we observe others going through that sort of situation, you can feel like God is a long way off. Uh, Maybe even that God's abandoned you. You can feel that way. Can I say, in those situations, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, nothing can be further from the truth. Verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, or literally groanings that can't be expressed with words. And when I read this, I I really do identify with it, um, because at points I feel uncertain how I should pray and this Monday uh, that's just gone this week I visited a man called Ralph who's uh, at a hospital nursing home and I knew that Ralph his, his health had been declining and I went into his room and he was lying on the bed and I said hello he sort of acknowledged me that he couldn't speak you know I said to Ralph looks like I'm doing most of the talking here you know uh Now Ralph is someone who's had operation after operation over the years, more recently had a series of years dealing with cancer and that struggle has been agonisingly slow. So here I'm I'm sitting with Ralph. Uh, what, What do I do? What do I pray for? I pray he'll be healed. I actually have been praying for that for quite a while. Do I pray that God will take the pain away? Ultimately, I could only see one way that was going to happen. So do I pray that God will take him? But is it right to pray that someone should die? Even though I know the hope and the promise that God has. So I'm sitting here at the bedside and those sort of things... Are going on. Now I did pray for him actually but I take it that at those points the Spirit intercedes for us. He groans for us in our pain, in our tears, in our struggles. But then we come to the mountaintop of this passage. Verses 28 to 30 That try and grab it all together for us in a most helpful sort of way. The way in which God is a ruling in the midst of suffering. I want to say to you that God has absolute authority and control in this world and yet it is a world that he is subjected to judgment in hope. So then the question is this, what is God doing now? What's he doing now? Verse 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now this is a promise for those who are trusting in Jesus but what is the good being spoken of here? The good of those who are called according to his purpose. What would you say? if I was saying, what good thing could God give you right now? Right? You might think, oh, promotional work, an extra $20,000 pay increase, um, win the lottery. You, know, you might think of a whole stack of things that you think would be for your good. You know, health, freedom from some chronic illness. What would be your good? right now you're good what's the good being spoken of here the great thing about the bible is it keeps explaining it for you you don't have to invent it or shove it in there we go straight on to verse 29 for those god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters now understand what's what's being spoken of here is that god is glorifying jesus through this whole process It happens when people come into a relationship with God through Jesus and by God causing those who are in relationship with him through Jesus to become more like Jesus. Now, I want to say this is a revolutionary way of thinking because the great goal is not happiness in this world, but the great good is God being glorified And dwelling with him for all eternity. See, that's the good. Becoming more like Jesus and being shaped like him. That is the good thing that is happening. And it happens as we trust God struggling in this world. We, we don't control the present. We haven't yet experienced the future. But this truth about God's control for our good is meant to dominate our thinking about both the present and the future. Now, how does that work? You know, if after church you do discover, uh, you know, that your car's been stolen... And you think, well, that, that, obviously in the purposes of God, that's for my good, right? So you go out and you say, my car's been sold. Woo-hoo! You know, how good is this? You know, uh, I don't think that's what's being spoken about here. It's not just sort of, you know, a celebration. But, but let me say you can know that that event, for those who trust in Jesus, does not fall outside of his purposes to shape you more like his son. You might be way too attached to your car and it actually you're living in this world and attached to this world and maybe it's a good thing that someone steals it so you get a bit more attached to God and his purposes you know I'm not commenting on you and your car I don't have any inside information here some people are smiling but you know that's okay and you know what that that principle that's being enunciated here I come across believers who time and time and time and time and time again say the way in which God has pruned them like that rose that Sarah was speaking about, they can look and see the way in which that has happened in their lives to shape them more like Jesus for which they're thankful, even though they would never have chosen it. Uh, Ralph, the guy I visited on Monday, I pulled, pulled out a file in which he'd written me a letter 20 years ago I've known him for a long time. And in that letter, he spoke about the way in which he'd been in hospital on one occasion, uh, undergoing one of his many operations, and he said he was in excruciating pain. And he said he had formulated in his brain if someone like me walked in the room where he would tell them to put their advice about trusting God's goodness for him in all circumstances. You know, he had it all planned out in his mind. I didn't turn up. A guy called Max Hart turned up. Max Hart is about uh, 20 years older than, than Ralph and had Parkinson's. Uh, and he had the shakes like this, uncontrollable. And he came in, and Ralph said, Max didn't want to talk about the philosophy of pain and suffering with him. He wanted to read the Bible and pray with him. And as he read the Bible to Ralph, Ralph said, I'm not sure what he read. All I could see was his shaking hands, his shaking hands, just like this. And he said, and as if God spoke to him in this quiet word, see, if Max can trust me with his shaking hands, you can trust me too. Um, it's, It's that at work in our lives. John Calvin, he was a reformer of the 16th century. And he said about this doctrine, these verses, he said, every event in our lives passes through the sieve of God's perfect control before it reaches you. Every event in our lives passes through the sieve of God's perfect control before it hits you. But friends, do keep remembering that suffering is not the last word. Verse 30. Those he justified he also glorified those he justified he also glorified and um, two big theological ideas but justification is just the idea of being made right with God in a right relationship with God when we put our trust in Jesus notice it says justified it's a past event something God's done for us glory we all know that glory is a future thing don't we And we go and dwell with God for all eternity when we see him face to face. Did you notice the tense of that word though? He also glorified. It's not he will glorify. He also glorified. It's in the past as well. You see, God has control over the beginning and the end of our lives. It is secured By him. And right now, right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, or if you're thinking about becoming one, then you'll suffer. You will. God's assured us of that. But it's not pointless suffering, it's not hopeless suffering. God's using all things to shape us like His Son, the Lord Jesus. What, what could be better in the eternal scheme of things than that? Nothing. God is at work for the good of those that love Him. I caught up with Ralph on Monday. When I got in there, all he could do was nod. I said, it "Looks like I'm going to be doing most of the talking." And he just smiled. Couldn't talk, but he did just smile. I read him a psalm. And then I read Romans chapter 8 to him. And I prayed for him. Now Ralph died on Wednesday night. Um, He he has claimed, he has uh, taken hold of that which God had secured for him already. His justification, his glorification. They are his in all their fullness right now God works for the good of those that love him can I encourage you to take hold of that promise and store it in your heart water it fertilize it nurture it because that is the promise that will sustain you In this world until you meet God face to face face to face let me preface let's pray Heavenly Father we do thank you that uh, you're a God who rules from eternity to eternity we thank you for the insight you give us by your word by the power of your spirit to understand what you're about in this world and it's not the way our world thinks in the absence of you Our world's preoccupied with the here and the now, the comfort, the acquisition, the goal of ease of life. And yet you and your kindness have caused us to reflect on eternity. And we know that one way in which you do that is by allowing us to endure uh, suffering and struggle in a world where there is pain and there is heartache. And Father, we don't pretend to understand it all. Uh, we do struggle with it. But we know we struggle as people with a secure promise that you've given us. The promise that you're at work for our good in the midst of all these things. And, Father, we pray that even in the darkest and most difficult times you'll help us to cling to that truth and by your spirit you'll help us to keep groaning to you in our uncertainties and that we'll know even in in the midst of the doubts uh, that you have not failed us uh, but that you've secured us for yourself for all eternity Uh, Father we pray this in the name of your son the Lord Jesus Christ Uh, we pray in his name Amen.